If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, please turn with me to Mark chapter 7. Today we're going to pick up in verse 31. Mark chapter 7, verse 31 is where we're going to be. We're going to finish out the chapter, seven verses, not a lot to cover. What might appear on the surface to be a rather peculiar text, and we'll kind of get into that as, as we go. Scott, could I get you to turn me down just a hair? Can you guys still hear me in the back okay? All right, I was just echoing a little bit, I think. All right, uh, well, let me pray, and uh, we'll dig in. Father, we love you, and we are so grateful for your word, and uh, it truly is a gift. Thank you that you have communicated to us your great love, and you have communicated something of yourself, God. Um, you are infinite, and we can never know you in your fullness, but Lord, you have allowed us to know some wonderful things about You, God. And what we know causes us to rejoice, causes us to fall more deeply in love with You, causes us to want to serve You with gladness. It causes us to want to spend the rest of our lives going deeper, learning more and more about You. So I pray that uh, this morning as we have gathered to hear from You, from Your Word, that You would speak to each and every one of us in a very special and fresh way. I ask that Your Holy Spirit would... Open the eyes of our hearts and our minds and that You would meet with Your people, Father, that You would bless the teaching of Your Word and that You would be glorified as we consider You, as we consider Your ways, as we consider Your goodness and Your kindness and Your great love with which You have loved us and continue to love us. So be honored in this place. In Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. So I'll be covering another miracle of Jesus today, a healing, and as is pretty typical with the Gospels, there are a number of miracles that we see, uh, because one of the main purposes of the Gospel writings is to communicate that Jesus is in fact the Son of God. He is God incarnate. And so through the miracles we see that He has power over nature, He was able to calm the, the storm and the sea. He had the ability to multiply bread and fish and to turn water into wine. He has the ability to cure disease and to raise the dead, to cast out demons. And I think in many ways those miracles are, are certainly distinct. They're, they're distinct and there are uh, significant things about each of those miracles. But in a general sense they communicate one thing, that the Son of Man has power that He is the Son of God, and that uh, He is to be worshipped. And so, that being the case, at times I feel like as we cover miracle after miracle after miracle, it could almost be repetitive in some sense. I'm saying the same things over and over, and today my heart, my intention with this text is to really look at the heart of Christ, to look at His kindness to look at the goodness of our Lord as He deals with this man who is deaf and mute. So I really want to put that before you as we work through this text. I really want to encourage you to consider very carefully just how gracious Jesus is with this man and how kind and how tender He is. And may this be an encouragement to us that the Lord is consistent with His own character. He never changes. He's the same. He always has been. He always will be. 
And He's gentle with the lowly, with the hurting, with the needy. Okay? So, if that is you today, if you know you need Him, if you recognize that you have a, a hurting heart, or whatever your situation may be, the Lord's posture towards you is one of love, one of mercy, one of grace. He desires to bring you comfort. And so this is a message that's intended to be an encouragement. Sometimes my messages can be challenging. Sometimes I can uh, exhort you and really try to set a standard. But today my heart is to simply encourage you guys, to love you guys, to present the Lord to you as a kind and caring Lord and with the hopes that your affections will be stirred for Him. Amen? Yeah. Alright, well let's read our text. Chapter 7, verse 31 it says, again, departing from the region of Tyre and Sidon, he came through the midst of the region of Decapolis to the Sea of Galilee. Then they brought him one who was deaf and had an impediment in his speech, and they begged him to put his hand on him. And he took him aside from the multitude and put his fingers in his ears, and he spat and touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. Immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. Then he commanded them that they should tell no one. But the more he commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So the first couple of verses there, talks about the fact that they were departing from Tyre and Sidon. You'll remember last week, Pastor Bill was teaching about the Syrophoenician woman. Her daughter was ill and she was pleading with the Lord that He would heal her. And they, they kind of had a little back and forth. It was a little confusing on the surface, but Pastor Bill did a, an excellent job really unpacking kind of what, what seemed to be going on below the surface with uh, their little banter and uh, that, that was where we left off last week. And at this point, it says they're leaving Tyre and Sidon, and they are going to the region of Decapolis. So I have a map. You guys know I love maps. I think it helps, really brings it, uh, gives a little clarity. So I wanted to show you guys this. I'm sorry it's a little difficult to see. It's a little fuzzy there. But um, we talked about how Israel is basically, at this point in time, three different regions. The southernmost region which you can't see, it would be down here, that would be uh, Judea. And then the middle of, the, of Israel, does anybody remember what that was called? Samaria, very good. And then lastly, the northernmost region is Galilee. And that's where Jesus spent the majority of His ministry, particularly right around the Sea of Galilee. So last week, they were all the way up here in Tyre, and it says they passed through Sidon, which is actually not on the map. It's up here. And now they're coming all the way back down to the Sea of Galilee. Uh, they skirt the Sea of Galilee and they're down here in Decapolis. So that's where we are at at this point. I think it brings it, you know, a little bit of perspective about how they're traveling, where they're at, the people that they're dealing with, so on and so forth. So that's where we're at. Decapolis is a... Uh, it's an area that is encompassed by ten city-states um, southeast of the Sea of Galilee. So it's basically ten cities, ten cities that make up 
the Decapolis. Jesus has been here before. Does anybody remember when Jesus was in this place? Anything significant about it? Demoniac. I don't know that I want you answering the questions. You know, you're going to know them all. All right, so if you look at your notes here under the place, number four, Jesus has been to this region before. You may remember the demoniac, the one whom Jesus cast the legion of demons out into the, the swine and then they ran off the cliff. So if you look in your notes, Mark chapter 5, 18 through 20, and when he got into the boat, he who had been demon-possessed begged him that he might be with him. However, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, Go, go home to your friends and tell them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he has had compassion on you. And he departed and he began to proclaim in Decapolis all that Jesus had done for him and all marveled. So Jesus had to leave that region. The, the people begged him to leave. And the guy that he had cast the demon out of wanted to go with him. But he encouraged him to stay and tell his friends, tell his family all the wonderful things that God had done for him. And so the guy did. This time, Jesus is back and the scene has totally changed. Uh, we get a little picture of this in Matthew chapter 15, verse 30. It says, Then great multitudes came to him having with them the lame, blind, mute, maimed, and many others, and they laid them down at Jesus' feet, and He healed them. So this time, it's a totally different scene. Jesus came the first time. He did that miracle. He cast the demon out. The people in that region pleaded for Him to leave. So He did. The guy stayed behind. He evidently was obedient to Jesus' command to go and tell. Jesus came back. Now the multitudes are there. They have gathered around. They're pleading with Jesus to heal all those who have a need. It seems like this guy certainly had an impact on his region. And I mean, it, when I read that, I can't help but think, Lord, I want that to be true of me. I mean, doesn't that resonate with you guys? That's amazing to think. I don't want to spend really much time on that, but I can't help but think that as I read this. There's nothing greater than to be changed by the Lord and then to be able to have an impact on uh, your family, your community, your workplace, wherever the case may be, wherever the Lord has planted you, to have an impact like that. What an what a honor. But Jesus is met by some people who bring to Him a deaf mute man and they have a request they have a plea they say would you please lay your hand on him now this condition would have been more awful than we might realize at that time the locals the people would have considered that this guy maybe had a mental deficiency or they would have thought that perhaps he was demon possessed uh, they may have even suggested that this guy's uh, condition was because of his sin he had sinned and God um, you know, chastened him or smoked him because of that. Some old school King James language on you there. Um, but sometimes they would go even so far as to say that it was the parents' fault. And we see that happen in John chapter 9. There was a guy that had been blind from birth and the disciples actually asked Jesus, whose fault was it? Was it this guy's fault that he somehow sinned or was his parents? And it was neither but you see that that was kind of the thinking of that day. So this guy would have had a rough go of it. People would have really treated him uh, badly, odds are, and he would have had a rough go of it. 
Um, these people in desperation, they bring him to Jesus. They ask Jesus to put his hand on him. But Jesus does so much more than that. Jesus does more than just put his hand on him. So let's look at it. Number two there in your notes. The kindness in the healing. And he took him aside from the multitude, and he put his fingers in his ears, and he spat, and he touched his tongue. Then looking up to heaven, he sighed and said, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And immediately his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was loosed, and he spoke plainly. So this is rather unusual, wouldn't you say? Kind of an unusual approach to healing, as I have it listed there. Um, it has been suggested, and I lean towards this, that the healing was not in Jesus touching his ears and touching his tongue, that this was more of a, a sign language Jesus had created to communicate with this guy. Um, he didn't literally plug his ears. You know, it was more of a... You have to understand, this guy had probably no clue what was going on. There's this pandemonium. Jesus is here. Everyone is, uh, is desperate to get a healing. These people grab this guy, bring him out here. He can't hear. He can't speak. All of a sudden, he sees Jesus. There's no reason to think that he looked at Jesus and had any clue what was going on. Uh, there was nothing special about Jesus. There wasn't a halo over his head. And so he had to have been confused. And so Jesus doesn't just lay his hand on him. Jesus actually takes this guy, takes him aside, gets right in his face, and communicates with him in a way that this guy would understand. That, to me, is beautiful. That is significant. And so Jesus is communicating, and he touches the guy's ears. I imagine the guy looked at him, and he understood. And the, uh, the spitting part is where it gets a little, a little weirder, a little more tricky. Now, some people have suggested that Jesus just spit on the ground and then kind of tapped the guy's you know, lips, maybe his tongue, and just like tapping his ears, he was indicating, I understand that you can't hear and that you can't speak and I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to heal you. Now, the, I like that better. I like that personally. But uh, the NASB translates it that Jesus literally spit and touched the, the saliva to the guy's tongue. So whether he did that or not, I don't know, but I think it's still safe to say he's, he's communicating to this guy uh, what his intentions are. Um, an interesting story. You'll see it in your notes. There was a missionary for the Wycliffe Bible Translators. Her name was Marilyn Laszlo. And she was in Papua New Guinea. And she was translating the Bible into the dialect of this one tribe in, a, in the Hana village. And one thing that was significant about this tribe is they really put a lot of emphasis on, on spitting. They believed there were great healing powers in, in spit. And their uh, witch doctors were actually spitters. That's what they were known as. And so she chose to translate Mark first. And when they came across these texts, this one, and where Jesus spit and made like some clay and put it in the guy's eyes, they were blown away. And they said, wow, this Jesus is the most powerful spitter in the world. And as the story goes, that much of the tribe was converted to Christ, even some of the witch doctors. And uh, I just can't help but smile and think Jesus on some level knew that was going to happen even when, when He did this. And um, that's pretty cool. And I, one thing I didn't put in your notes, but just another thought. Jesus healed in many different ways. You, 
sometimes it seemed like the obvious, easiest way, and sometimes it seemed kind of bizarre. And I think that maybe he does that so that we don't try to put him in a box. We don't try to say that he's going to always function this way every single time. You just can't do that with the Lord. The Lord does what the Lord wants to do. The wind blows where it wishes. And uh, I love that about God. We can't put him in a box. And if he always did that, I have no doubt that there would be a denomination, the first church of the holy spitters. And they would be spitting in the spirit and people would be getting slain by the spit and, you know, so on it goes. And uh, I'm so fortunate we don't have that. We got a lot of crazy stuff going on out there. That's, we don't need to add that to the list. So at any rate, we see how Jesus really takes time to love this guy, to care for him, to minister to him, to communicate to him in a way that he can understand but then I want to take it a step further. B, kindness through intercession. Kindness through intercession. Jesus looks to heaven. Perhaps this is another way in which He's indicating to the man that He's going to heal him. He touches his ears. He touches his tongue. He looks to heaven and he sighs. Now this guy would understand that Jesus is praying for him. Jesus is taking him before the Lord. And that's what Jesus did. He interceded on His behalf. Jesus took this man to the Father. Took him to God. That is merciful. And that is one of the greatest ways that we can show mercy. Just as Christ took this man to the Father, that's one of the ways that we display mercy. It's one of the most beautiful things that we can do. It's one of the most powerful things that we can do. And it should not be the last resort. Amen? I don't know about you guys, but I have had countless people go to the Lord on my behalf, and they still do, and I'm so thankful for that. And I want to do the same. I want to go to the Lord on people's behalf. I want to show that kind of mercy and that kind of compassion for other people. Are you going to the Lord on other people's behalf? I trust that you are. I trust that you are. That's what our Lord did. He showed great mercy to that end. It says here that when Jesus looked up to heaven that he sighed. He sighed. Uh, it's also translated groaned, stenazo, uh, expressing grief or desire, figuratively to feel pressure from what is coming on. It's interesting, we find this word somewhere else in the New Testament. If you look in your notes there, I have it, Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with what? With groanings, which cannot be uttered. I like the ESV. It says, too deep for words. We're weak. And in our weakness, sometimes we don't even know how to pray. But the Spirit prays on our behalf with groanings too deep for words. And so as we see that, I really feel like that gives us a beautiful picture of what is happening with Jesus and this guy. He... This guy is weak. He cannot help himself. And so Jesus takes him to the one who can. Jesus intercedes. He looks to the heavens. He looks to the Father. And he groans because he understands this, this guy's pain. He understands uh, the difficulty that this guy is experiencing. And he groans. He groans for this guy. I have a couple of verses here that I wanted to share with you guys that kind of carry this idea of Jesus being the, the intercessor, Jesus being the mediator. 
each, each verse here has one word says mediator, one says intercessor, and the words are kind of similar. They overlap a little bit, but they are kind of distinct. And, I, and Jesus is, is both. A mediator is one who is a go-between between two parties, and he, he kind of works to bring them together, to reconcile and to, to be able to bring them to a place of uh, communion and connection and productivity to be able to produce. To intercede is really to go to one party on the other party's behalf, much like the priests in the Old Testament would go to God on behalf of the people of Israel, the children of Israel. And so Jesus is, is both. Jesus is our mediator. Jesus is our intercessor. He intercedes. That's what He was doing for this guy in great mercy and love and compassion. So look with me in your notes there. Jesus is the mediator. 1 Timothy 2, 3-6 For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave Himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time. So it's God's desire that men would be saved. He is a God who is mighty to save. And He has proven this by sending His Son. God initiated we love God because He first loved us. God has proven His love. He has demonstrated His love by sending His Son to save, to seek and to save the lost. And Jesus is the one mediator. He is the only one who has the ability to bring man and God together, to reconcile. He is the only one who has that ability. The man, Christ Jesus, he gave Himself as a ransom for all. Jesus died. Jesus gave His life away because we were separated from God. We were separated from this holy and just and righteous God in our sin because we all know. We all know that we're not good people. Do we not? I mean, compared to some people, we might be better. Maybe we can make that argument. But compared to a holy, almighty, perfect God, we do not measure up and we know that we fall short. Every single day we fall short on some level. But God so loved us. God so loved the world that He gave His Son, Jesus, who would live the perfect life, die the death that we deserved. He didn't deserve that death. But He died willingly. He gave His life away. He paid the penalty that we owed. He gave His life as a ransom for us to buy us back and to present us to God holy and perfect and blameless, not because of our righteousness, but because of His own. And He alone could do that. He was the mediator who brought man to God. What mercy, what compassion, what love. There is none greater that is our Lord. And He intercedes. He is the intercessor. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25 there, Therefore, He is also able to save to the uttermost those who come to God through Him, since He always lives to make intercession for them. Now, there were priests in the Old Testament who for a certain period of time would go to God on behalf of the nation of Israel to present them to God. And they would make sacrifices on behalf of the people. These sacrifices were never able to wash away sin, but they would cover sin 
and the people could come to God in that way. But Jesus is the great high priest. And just as those priests were temporary, they were human, they were finite, they died, Jesus never dies. Jesus ever lives. And He is the great high priest who ever lives to intercede on our behalf. Is that amazing? Jesus is still interceding on our behalf today. He ever lives to intercede at the right hand of the Father. And that's amazing. That's our Lord. That's how He was with with people on the earth. That's how He is to this day. That is the Lord that we love. That is the Lord that we serve. And that is the Lord who is calling you to Himself. If you don't know Him, He is saying, Come. Come. I will make you new. I will make you whole. I will forgive you of your sins. I will wash you and I will make you whiter than snow. Turn. Turn away. Turn away from that life. Turn away from your sin and turn to Me. And I will give you life. I will give you rest. That is our Lord. That is His mercy. Now I want you to notice with me the complexity of the miracle. Not only did Jesus give Him the ability to hear, but He also gave Him the ability to speak. It says that He loosed His tongue. He spoke plainly. That word plainly comes from the Greek as orthos, which means straight, without deviation, correctly, rightly, standard. And we get the words orthodontic, orthopedic. comes from that, that root, orthos, which, you know, straight teeth or straight spine. And so He had the ability to speak well, to speak straight, to speak plainly. It would have taken years to learn the language and to be able to speak well, having never heard speech instantly. He could hear and He could speak well. That's amazing. I think we look right over that uh, sometimes. But this was an incredible miracle. And what, what was the people's response to this? Look with me, if you will, in your notes here. The people's response. Then He commanded them that they should tell no one, but the more He commanded them, the more widely they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He makes both the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. So Jesus told them not to tell. Jesus said, don't, don't tell. This is not the first time that Jesus strictly commanded people not to tell. We saw that in Mark chapter 1 and various places. However, there were times where Jesus did say, go and tell. And it's kind of confusing. Why did, he, why did He do that? Sometimes He says go, sometimes He says don't. Well, I put in your notes um, what I call some holy conjecture. Um, I think that, you know, if Jesus did not come to heal primarily. That was not His objective. Jesus came to seek and to save the lost. He came to die, uh, just as it says, as a ransom for the sins of man and to, to reconcile man to God ultimately. In the process, Jesus did wonderful things. He did heal. But that was not the main reason for which He came. But at times when He would heal, pandemonium, chaos, and He wouldn't be able to go anywhere or do anything. So it seemed like Jesus was always walking the line between trying to uh, do the works of God and promote the kingdom of God and, um, and prosper in His purposes. And then there were times where He wanted to act in, in private in privacy because it, it really became more of a hindrance than a help. So there were times where He told people to tell. There were times where He told people not to tell. And, and I, as best I can make of it, that would be His reasoning. It's pretty simple. It's, it's uh, pretty practical, I would say. 
But you'll notice that the people disobeyed. This is not the first time that the people disobeyed. Okay, Jesus told people don't go tell and they went and told and they did it again here. Um, it's understandable to me how difficult this would be. I mean, is it not? Um, for one, this guy, he could not talk his whole life and now he can talk and Jesus is like, but just don't tell. And that would be hard to do. And, you know, all the other people as well, you, you imagine the amazement, the excitement, the astonishment, as it clearly says here. We'll talk about that in a moment. They couldn't help but tell. I, and I totally understand that. What's stranger to me is how Jesus tells us to tell and sometimes we don't. You know? He told them to tell, not to tell, and they did. He tells us to tell and we don't tell. And so that, that to me would be the, the more odd thing. Uh, but that's understandable too. Uh, see on your notes there, the astonishment and praise of the people. The people were blown away, rightly so. I put the Greek word there. I'm not even going to try to pronounce it. Uh, but basically, super abundantly. They were amazed beyond measure. They were astonished beyond measure. It was super abundant amazement. Uh, abounding, going beyond expected measure, overflowing. It's the only time this word is used. It's only used here in Mark. That's pretty amazing. And I would say when Jesus does exceedingly abundantly more than we could ask or think, Ephesians 3.20, what should be the response? Astonishment and praise ought to superabound. Amen? I mean, that's what happened. They, they saw amazing things and their praise and their recognition reflected that. Have you seen God do amazing things in your life? I have. And how often does my, my praise and my adoration reflect that? How often does it superabound? How often can I simply not stop from speaking of the wonderful works that God has done in my life? We ought to do that. We ought to be a people who are marked by that. Our speech ought to be seasoned with the grace and, uh, of, of, and goodness of what God has done. It ought to be the fragrance, the aroma of Christ everywhere that we go. We ought to give Him super abundant, amazing praise. One little side note here. Um, at times we tend to praise the gift instead of the giver of the gift. Right? And Romans chapter 1, verse 25 talks about that, how they worshiped the creation rather than the Creator. Jesus did this wonderful thing and they were blown away by it, but Jesus got acknowledgement. He got the recognition. They praised the giver of the gift as well as the gift itself. And so we need to be very careful. We are a blessed people. There's so many wonderful things that God has given us, so many wonderful things that God is doing, and we want to be certain that we're giving Him the praise that we're recognizing His good hand in our life daily, and uh, that we don't ever get so caught up in the gift itself that we forget the giver. Alright, ending with this, declaring the miracle. Declaring the miracle. They took note of the completeness and the validity of the miracle. When Jesus does something, it's verifiable. You know He did it. You know it's done. Um, I have had friends who have gone to churches where it was a great healing service and the pastor told the people, you're healed. Now the doctor is going to tell you you're not healed, but you are healed. And it's just like, come on man, give me a break. And when Jesus did something, they knew He did it. It was verifiable. He even 
when he had cleansed the lepers, he told them, go show yourself to the priest. That was part of the Levitical law. And they would verify that it was complete, it was whole, it was legitimate. And they said that he does all things well. When Jesus moves and when he does something, he does it well. It's complete, it's verifiable, it's good. You remember the Toastmaster in John chapter 2 when Jesus turned the, the water into wine? And um, the guy stood up and said, you know, usually they put the good wine out first and when everybody's well drunk, then the, the lesser wine. But you didn't do that. You put out the good stuff. And uh, that was the wine that, that Jesus made. And um, somebody had pointed that out and said, you know, how is it that that guy would have even known that, being that they were probably already you know, drunk at that point? And I said, well, that just goes to tell you how good the wine was. I mean, they were drunk and they knew that it was better than in the first place. So when Jesus does something, He does it good, and you know He did it. So anyway, I just want to close with that. The Lord does all things well. The Lord does all things well. Look, our Lord is compassionate. He is merciful. He loves you. And He is here. And He, he desires to, to meet you where you're at. He desires to minister to you. And He desires to do so through His people. And that's why we gather as a body of believers to love each other in Jesus' name and to minister to each other in Jesus' name and to pray for you and to extend the love of Christ to you. So we're going to have people here that want to pray for you as we close in one last song. And let me just say this. As Jesus communicated to this guy, He said, and the guy would have understood you know, and maybe there are people here today who are hurting. You have a broken heart. Nobody knows that. You know that. And Jesus would be standing here going, Jesus knows. And He wants to minister to you. He wants to love you. He wants to have compassion and mercy on you. And He wants to do it through His people. So I would encourage you to, uh, to let us do that. Let us love you. Let Jesus Love you. So we're going to have people, if you would come on up, we're going to have a close with a song. Rest in the goodness of Jesus. Rest in His love. Run to Him. Because He loves you. Let me pray. Lord, we love You so much and we thank You for Your kindness. We thank You for Your goodness. We worship You in this place and we are people who have received grace upon grace. We have received great mercy and we know all too well how merciful You are and how kind You are. Perhaps we need to be reminded afresh. Pray that You would make that real to us all over again. Perhaps there are people in this room who have never tasted and seen. They've never experienced Your mercy and Your, your kindness, Lord. And I pray that they would not hold back, Lord, but that they would cry out and that they would seek Your face and that they would humble themselves and they would surrender to You, Jesus. Turn away from their sins and from their past life and that they would give themselves to You, Father. So we thank You for this time. We thank You for Your Word. And I ask that You would bless this song as we close and bless the people in our, in our congregation here. We love You, Lord. In Jesus' name, Amen.